0: So who are you voting for, huh? Wow, this election cycle, is it not intense? I mean, I'll tell you, election cycles just are because everyone's got an opinion. And there is a lot of intensity about this. And it's not so much about who you support, but who you will never support, I will never ever vote for that person. And and there's this whole range of arguments about who and why and every day accusations surface about one or the other. It's intense. And perhaps one of your friends has told you, now if you vote for this one, this is gonna happen and it'll be on your head. (laughs) And then the other, oh, but if you vote for I know exactly what they're going to do, and that'll be on you. You'll have no one to blame but yourself, because every choice has consequences. It's true. Even to stay home is a choice, and even to stay home is a consequence. Have you heard that one? It's true. It's true, because that is the, the mode of life. Life is... A series of relationships filled with choices. Every day, how we relate to one another and the choices that we make. And we are reminded that every choice we make has a consequence, like it or not. We get to make our choices. We don't get to choose the consequences. But we will stand before God and be accountable for our choices. So this is life, and this morning, we're going to take a look at an unusual person of faith. That has been the goal as we study throughout this series, choosing to live by faith, to introduce ourselves or become acquainted once again with some people who stand out in a most unusual way as people who just trust God. I mean, God asked them to do unusual things, icky things, horrific things. And by faith, they obey. And today will not be unlike the others. Because today we're going to look at an unusual person of faith who goes unnamed in the Bible. This individual is not given a name. She is only referred to as the Shunammite. The Shunammite. It's not name-calling, it's just she's from Shuna, Shunem. And, uh, and, of course, anyone from a particular city gets an ite after him in the Bible, you know, the crazy little thing in the Bible here, but that's the way it is. And so we're going to take a look at uh, the unusual circumstances in which she demonstrates faith, starting from the most mundane all the way up into the Miraculous. So I want to encourage you this morning to take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. And in here we're going to look at this uh, pericope, little section of scripture. It starts in verse 8 about this this little pop-in on this woman's life. And again, we're going to see three settings in which we will observe her faith in action. Again, ranging from the mundane and ordinary to the extraordinary. And so three, three settings we're going to look at. The first starts in verse 8. And this this seems so ordinary, it, it seems not even worth mentioning it. But I want to tell you, friends, that's where faith is lived out. In the ordinary, in the everyday occurrences of life. So notice, if you will, here in verse 8, one day, Elisha. Now, Elisha follows Elijah. Both of them are prophets of God. Both of them are powerful prophets of God. There are many similarities, and there are many differences here, but both serving in a difficult, dark time in Israel's history. Now, the fact that we mentioned 2 Kings tells us, well, in 1 Kings, there was a division in the kingdom, but in 2 Kings, they're moving towards captivity. So that means the the, the whole uh, nation of Israel is just, just wrought with sin and rebellion against God. It's a difficult time to minister when no one wants to hear what you have to say. But unlike uh, Elijah, Elisha had a pretty good relationship with the king, you know? There was some listening here and there, as opposed to uh, Elijah, which, you know, King Ahab and uh, his wife, the queen, wanted him dead. I mean, they just wanted him gone. But here we have him traveling, and, uh, and this, this chance encounter perhaps takes place. So one day, Elisha went to Shunem, and you know what you find in Shunem? Shunemites, Okay. <laughs> All right, and uh, so sure enough, he is uh, on his way, uh, went on to Shunem, where he, a wealthy woman lived. Now, this, this word wealthy is perhaps a bit of an interpretation. The, the Hebrew word here is Gadal, which means great. Now, oft times that references someone who is wealthy or influential, but it's, it's just good to know what we're working with here. And I want to suggest that she's great for another reason, and you'll find out why in just a moment. And so Elijah went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. I mean, here's this guy she does not know. And he's, now you say, well, how does he not know Elijah? Well, we'll Figure that out in just a few verses to come here. But here's a guy traveling on the road, and this Godol, great woman, sees him and invites him in for a meal. Now, when you're reading the Bible, you're like, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. It really doesn't. Hospitality was, was anticipated in every community, but not always participated in and I think this is our first act of faith. I mean, this is one of the things that God has called all of his people to, to do, is to love even the stranger. Remember, Jesus gave that, gave that great illustration, you know, the, the big theological discussion, you know, what's the great commandment? I love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I know, by the way, your neighbor as yourself. You know, okay, well, who's my neighbor, Lord? And he tells a story about this man. And he is robbed and he is beaten and he is left for dead. And along come the religious folk who avoid him at all costs because, you know, it's so messy. People are messy. And then comes the Samaritan. Now, you've known a little bit of the history here about this captivity. And some of the folks of the northern kingdom stayed behind. They intermarried with the Gentiles. Remember the capital city in the northern kingdom of Israel is Samaria. These Samaritans were traitors. Everyone else went into captivity. Everyone else endured this humiliation. And they were traitors. And they were hated. But this guy stops to help this Jewish man. And he doesn't say, hey, you okay? All right, good. Prayed for you. I mean, he stops and he, he cleans up his wounds. And he takes them off to a place. Leaves money and says, if there's anything else that you need to take care of when I come back, I'll pay you. I mean, that's the kind of level that God's talking about. You know, when, when God says to love your neighbor... It says, if you have the means to meet someone's need, you should do it. If you have the means, if someone in need to take care of them, you ought to. Well, this guy's traveling, you know, they haven't got a holiday in and they surely don't have a Burger King, you know, and who doesn't like a Whopper? Can I get an amen? Come on, who doesn't like a Whopper with extra onions, you know, Not it all. brought to you by Burger King, back to the sermon, okay? Okay. Here's a guy in need. It's a very practical need. It's not life or death, but it's the right thing to do. And she demonstrates faith in God by providing a meal to a traveler. Now note, Shunem was about 20 miles northeast of Elisha's hometown. 25 miles or so beyond Shunem was Mount Carmel, kind of his home base. A lot of ministry took place there. And so what we're going to find is is that Elisha was traveling back and forth a lot. And while she didn't know him personally, she knew him to be a traveler, someone who would need refreshment, and she offered it. You say, well, that's kind of ordinary, remember? Ordinary to the extraordinary. We're going to start small here, friends. But what I want to make sure this morning is we just don't skip over this. It doesn't have to be an extraordinary thing of saving a life of someone robbed and beaten to be an act of faith and love towards someone else. It's just about there's the guy without the pencil, and I got another one in the bag. Is that an extraordinary thing? Remember Jesus in, in Matthew 25, remember he's, he's talking about separating the, the sheep and the goats, you know, and he's just, what's the difference? You know, well, I was cold and I was naked and I was hungry and thirsty and you gave me nothing to eat. Well, so what? I mean, you know, there's a lot of hungry people, Lord, you know, and in that you did it to them, you did it unto me. That's why it matters. When you do it unto a stranger, A distant relative uh, guy sitting on the other end of the room? You do it unto him. See, it's only eyes of faith that see that. Because it just looks like the guy who doesn't pay attention anyway, why should I bother to help that guy? You know, we got a lot of reasons to sit there and do nothing, friends. But it is the eyes of faith that say, I will honor my God by acting on behalf of this person. That's faith. Those are the choices that we make when we are trusting in God. We see people differently. They're not disturbances. They're not interruptions to our day. They are an opportunity to show how much we love our God by loving the people around us. So this is the first act of faith, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. You know, and and if a meal every now and then wasn't enough, she got to know this guy. Because you can't help but get to know someone when you share a meal. You know, the little chit-chat begins, a little question, where are you from, what do you do, always ensues. And sharing a meal, verse 9, leads to providing a room. Now, she has learned something beyond that this is just a traveler, Notice verse 9, and she said to her husband, behold now, I know this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. She's gotten to know this guy, you know, and he's not just a stranger anymore, by the way, that's how it happens, right? I mean, that's how it happened with Melanie. Melanie and I were in the same class. Uh, we shared a class at the Mooney Bible Institute. But we didn't know each other until we, God put us together at this crazy work thing for the city of Chicago. And we struck up a conversation. I was shocked to see her after talking to her that night and getting together before that we were in the same class. And suddenly, everything's different. Instead of a crowd of people around me, there was now someone on whom my attention was focused. That's the way it works. If you know anybody in this room, there was a time you didn't. I mean, you just didn't. You know? It's about interaction, friends. And some of the people who are dearest to you in this room, you didn't know until you talked to them. Is it possible that there are people we are missing out on? relationships that are vibrant, you know, things people that we can invest in and will return and investing in us, if we just take time to talk to them? So here she is, moving from a meal every once in a while, although that word continually sounds like he was there a lot. said, "Let's build a house. Not a house. Let's build a room." Let's build a room. Take a look. You know, verse 9, she said to her husband, "Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp." You know, didn't say let's make a giant dining room table for him. Let's provide for his needs. He travels a lot. We know something about him because we've shared many a meal together. Let's meet a need. So when he ever comes to us, he can go in there. And they did. It was an act of faith. Now again, our series is entitled Choosing to Live by Faith. But today we're going to add a why to that. Now, I want you to notice here that this is just an expression of her love for God, her faith in God, believing what God has said and acting on it. But I want you to notice some repercussions to living that way. We've seen the first act of faith, her response to a stranger. But you'll notice in verse 11, her second illustration, demonstration of her faith Her response to a reward. A reward. Interesting. uh, Hebrews 11, the the, the chapter that just lists all these people of faith who believed God did extraordinary things. Many of them named and a whole lot more go unnamed. I think the scripture refers to her and maybe the, the, well, similar story with Elijah as well. But notice this, her response to her reward. In verse 11, in response to her faith, through this prophet of God, God is offering her a reward. One day he came there, verse 11, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this the Shunammite. Imagine having a meal after a meal. And perhaps this is just evidence of her humility, and there are other evidences of the same thing, and her being nameless here. But but go ahead and call the Shunammite. And, And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, now this is a very odd thing. He sent Gehazi to go and get this woman, and now this woman had come. And you'll notice that Elisha is still talking to Gehazi, you know, and he, he said to him, now say to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? And isn't that the question? I mean, what's your motivation for this? Would you do something kind for someone else? What's really going on in the heart here? Are you looking for something? Are you hoping for something? Now, she's a great woman, perhaps a wealthy woman, and we will find later that she also has servants. So I'm guessing being a wealthy woman, she doesn't have a whole lot of needs. But I want you to look at this here. What shall be done for you? And Elisha offers some great opportunities here. Would you have... A word spoken on your behalf to the king. Wow. Direct into you know, access to the king or to the commander of the army. You got any enemies you want to cross off the list? I mean, just tell me what the word is here. What can we do for you? And look at her response. Hmm. She answered. I dwell among my own people. What I have is enough. Something extraordinary about this woman is that she is content. In a world of people looking through magazines and looking through that paper that comes in the mail that we know is just full of coupons. And you know what's going on there is you're trying to figure out what it is you want that you don't know you want yet, right? Like, oh, I could use one of those. I mean, we live in a world where enough is never enough. And here's this woman who says, no, I'm good. I, I wonder, I would have loved to have seen the expression on Elisha's face, living in this dark day when sin is rampant, the selfishness and, 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 and inexcusable lust and desire is on display. And here's this woman says, no, I'm good. Hmm. Perhaps this is just another reassurement that her activities were of love for God, not longing for something else. She didn't have any hidden desires. She didn't say, but you know what I could use? There was nothing. There was no bots, And isn't that the way of the world? You know, I'm okay there, but I could really use a... And here's ben, uh, Gehazi. I almost said Benghazi here. It's the election, I'm telling you. <laughs> um, so here's Gehazi, and in just a few chapters, you know, Elisha's going to cure a guy of leprosy, and this guy came with all kinds of treasures, you know? And Elisha says, oh, "I don't need it, you know. What do I, I have? God, you know. I don't need all this stuff." But Gehazi, <laughs> I've said this all week long, you know. But but Gehazi, he goes back and tries to go after that treasure because that guy, like so many others, is always looking for more. Oh, you got a lot. I wonder how I can get some of that. And you know, it's true. I mean, just just evaluate your heart. It didn't take long, really, did it? You remember that time, those many times you've thought that way? How can I get their stuff? It's a shame. But here's this woman of faith who says, I dwell among my people. What more could I want? Wow. So her response to her reward, she received this generous offer. But here in verses 14 to 17, she just declined it. I mean, Proverbs 37 and 9 says, Two things I ask of you, if this really ought to be our prayer. This is Proverbs 30, verses 7 and 9. Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me, and take note of this especially. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. God, teach me to be content, to be happy with enough. That is where true wealth lies, by the way. It's not in more and more and more and more because more will never do when all you seek is more. But I'll tell you, as faithful and content as this Shunammite was, Elisha was persistent. Her rare faith surely must have been been a surprise to him, and it certainly also must have been very rare at this time. And remember, Hebrews eleven six: "...without faith it's impossible to please him." that's God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And a reward is not something to be sought, but by faith a reward is gained. When you put your trust in God, you both honor him and you gain a reward from him. Friends, the danger in that, of course, is to think a point system. How many rewards do I have up there? I wonder if they outbalance all the stuff I walked away from. But, my friends, God is a God who rewards those who trust Him, who seek Him, and who love Him. Look at verse 14. And he said, well, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, <laughs> One of my favorite verses of the Bible. Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. <laughs> There's enough times where that's written about the wives, I'll tell you. You know, Abraham, you got a wife, Sarah, but she's old, you know. And the truth is the truth. And the fact is that in the culture of her day, having a child was everything. I mean, though that she may be wealthy, I wonder how much she got out. And people would sit by and say, There she is. This is that woman who lives in a big house, but she doesn't have any children. With the sound of laughter and running children behind them. It was a it was an embarrassment in the day. Because God had promised to Israel that if they obeyed the covenants and the the laws that God had laid out, he would bring blessing. And one of those blessings was children. And so the thought, you know, the logic of people was, if you don't have a child, it's because God is angry with you. Now, we know that's not true today. We're not Israel. It doesn't work that way. God has very complicated and sometimes difficult to understand plans for us. But that certainly was the event of the day. And so in verse 15, Elisha, he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. She never seems to even have the boldness to walk in the room that she had set up for this man. It really smacks of humility, I think. So she stood in the doorway, verse 16, and he said, at this season, about this time next year, You shall embrace a son. And she said, and you can almost hear it. No, I've had my hopes up for this for a long time. You can almost feel this in her response. I'm just tired of hoping. No, my Lord, oh man of God, do not lie to your servant. Do not disappoint me again. But... The woman conceived. This is one of my favorite words in the Bible. It's, it's this little conjunction, but it is a contrast. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But God demonstrated His love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh no, I cannot even think about this anymore. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about the time following spring, as Elisha had said to her. Well, the Shunammites' third demonstration of faith (laughs) takes place under circumstances that make living by faith the hardest to do. It is when everything is dark, when it seems that God has walked away. And you say, it's easy to feed a stranger, have a little extra food, go ahead and take it. You know, buy one of those 99-cent burgers and give it to someone. It's kind of easy to share something that's already in your hand. But isn't it more difficult to lose something that, you, that God had given to you? I think we can all relate to that. You see here in, our, in verse 18 to 37, we see the final circumstances in which her faith is demonstrated to us here. It is her response to heartache. Notice the source of the heartache here in verse 18. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. It's perhaps something a mom loves to see, her children playing with her father. Out there looking like he wants to grow up and be one of the guys. A little bit of dreaming going on there, you know? Hmm. Hmm. In verse 19, and he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. Because where else do you take a hurting child? There's just something special about the relationship of a child and his mother. I mean, yesterday I was working in the the garage. We're doing some woodworking and I was cutting some zip ties with a a box cutter and it was really sharp. <laughs> and, and I sliced myself right here with that thing. And I did it right after Brandon was, we, we were working together, said, you probably shouldn't do that tour. <laughs> and right in me, and there's blood and there's And last night, when I was in bed, and I was just in that twilight, you know, almost awake, almost asleep, and there I felt Melanie putting some ointment on it. And it just feels, I don't know if the ointment did anything, but it sure was nice to be loved, you know? Take him to his mother. Hmm. Verse 20, And when he had lifted him, and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. That makes me sad every time I read it. But God gave him to me, and the Lord gives and the Lord takes, yada, yada, yada. And there is a broken heart. And it's really hard to trust God when your heart is broken. Well, in verses 21 to 29, we are demonstrated, we are, it is revealed to us the solution for a heartache. You see, this woman did exactly what we would expect her to do. And it's not because we don't know what we should do when our heart is broken. When we feel like we've gone as far as we can go, when everything seems like it has failed and we're just out of attempts, we know what we should do. The problem is just doing it. And so she went to God through the prophet Elisha. Verse 21, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. And then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? Apparently the news hadn't gone out that the boy had died. It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And look at her words. She said, All is well. And those are the words of faith. All is well. How can all be well when a world has just been shattered? How can all? Only the eyes of faith can see that God can do all things, regardless of the circumstances. All of these things working together for good. Is it possible? Hmm all is well. In verse 24, then she saddled the donkey and said to a servant, urge the animal on and do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And when the, God, uh, when the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? It is all well with a child. And she answered, All is well. Only faith can say that. Only a deep, abiding trust in God can sing, It is well with my soul. When your family is dead. You know the the background story of that hymn. It is well, it is well with my soul. How can it be well when your life is shattered? It is because you have faith in the God who gave them to you. And faith in the God who took them. She answered, all is well. And so she pursued God, but she approached with great humility. Once again, verse 27, and when she came to the mountain of the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. Feet, again, in the days in which this was uh, happening. He wore sandals, dirty, dusty, nasty, not a shower to be seen. And this was was not a pleasant place to be. And yet her humility brought her there. Hmm. But the man of God said, (laughs) and notice Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone for she is in bitter distress and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Do not disappoint me again. Gehazi would not be the answer to this. And he said to Gehazi, tie up your garments and take my staff in your hand and go. Then if you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not even reply. Stick to the task. Lay my staff on the face of that child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives, as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. And Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him, the child has not awakened. bit of a roller coaster emotionally here this morning. But by faith, even in disappointment, even in go and try, she does not waver in her faith. For by faith, she received her son back from the dead. Hebrews 11.35, by faith, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. But Elijah went to the child. And when Elijah came to the house, verse 32, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them. And Elisha went to the child, and Elisha prayed to the Lord. And he prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth in his mouth, his eyes in his eyes, his hands in his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. And then the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. And this is an unusual thing here. Some of you are laughing. I can't wait to see how I explain to that one. I don't know what the hand and the mouth and the whatever stuff is all about, but it is something that God used to bring this child back. It was not the prophet that did it. It was the Lord himself. And perhaps uh, notice the summon of Gehazi said, Call the Shunammite. Called a Shunammite. So he called her when she came. He said, pick up your son. And she came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. A woman of faith who was rewarded for her faith. The reward of of getting a son, a son whom she had hoped for and had only found disappointment. And the same God who gave her the son and took the son gave him back. Now, word of caution, God most certainly rewards those who trust him. But I want you to hear this. But the reward of faith is not always the thing that we want most, but the thing we need most determined by that which brings the most glory to God. Everything about this story points to God. As much as we have focused on her faith, the power of God, the goodness of God, and the providence of God is everywhere. The fingerprints of God are everywhere in this account. So don't miss this. This was not, if you do what God wants you to do, then he'll give you whatever he wants. It's not the way it works, friends. God is the one who chooses the reward. God is the one who chooses the timing of the reward. And sometimes the best timing of the reward will never be on this planet, friends. It will not be in this lifetime. I mean, think of what this woman would have lost if she had said, Well, you know, it'd be nice if you could tell the king to put in the road a little further from my house. You know, or maybe a little station of guards down the road. Could you take care of that? If she had only thought about herself and what more she could have had, what would she have missed out on? And the question is, what would you miss out on? If you refuse to trust God, to go where he called you to go, to speak up when he tells you to speak, to let go of something you've been holding on to so firmly, what are you missing out on? Missing out on the best life that God has for you, I'll tell you that.